Welcome to the Entourage Podcast. My name is Paige Scott, and I'm going to be your host. Entourage Ministries gets its inspiration from Psalm 6811 that says, The Lord gives the command, and a great army of women proclaim the good news. Entourage is a multi-generational, multi-denominational, multicultural women's ministry based in Durant, Oklahoma. Join us today as we dive into truth from the Word so that your heart and spirit may be encouraged. Hey everybody, welcome to the Entourage Podcast. My name is Jessie and I want to forewarn you, I'm at home with my baby, so she may come in and out and that might be fun. (laughs) But um, furthermore, I just wanted to welcome you onto the podcast. I'm so glad you're here. We are diving into the book of Deuteronomy today in our continuation of our Revive School commentary that Paige and I are going through. The sad part about today though is if you look at All the other podcasts we did, me and Paige do the commentary together, but today it's just me. Uh, Entourage has commissioned Paige to kind of extend her ministry in this season, so she's out of pocket for a little bit, and I look forward to having her come back very, very, very soon, which I'm sure you'd be excited for her to come back to. But I am stoked to bring you my thoughts about Deuteronomy and all the information about Revive School is on this podcast show notes and the other show notes as well. If you look, uh, we did commentary over Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, and Numbers. So this is the end of our Pentateuch study. And after Deuteronomy, our study actually jumps to the Gospels. And I'm so excited about this because Deuteronomy has a lot of parallels to Matthew it is scripture fulfilled. And in Revive School, it's broken up by um, each book. We study each book, and then each day you have about a 30-minute teaching uh, to watch or listen to. And um, there's a word for the book that um, is like a theme for the book that points to Jesus in the book. And uh, the word for Deuteronomy is, any guesses? Any guesses? Paige and I could not guess this. It was like we had no idea this is what it would be. But the word for Deuteronomy is prophet. And the reason why they chose that is because Deuteronomy 18.15 says, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among your own brothers. You must listen to him. So we know that Moses is talking about Jesus. And it gives me goosebumps. All the all the little notes I've taken, how how parallel it is to the Gospels, but specifically Matthew, which we will get into next time. Paige and I are actually, we finished the Gospels already, and we're in Joshua now. So we are a bit behind on these notes, and my mind's kind of going all over the place with all these connections. But I'm so excited to be back in Deuteronomy and to tell you from a retrospect uh, about my notes. So let's see if I remember And let's dive on in. Deuteronomy, um, they told us in the very beginning, Deuteronomy means second law or second Levitical law. And this is the book of Deuteronomy is Moses bringing the people to the edge, the Israelites to the edge. It's the end of the 40 years. And the Lord told him to write the law down again as a bit of a will or his own obituary because he is about to pass away. Joshua is about to be commissioned, and the Israelites are going to go into the land. And if you remember, numbers, the word for numbers was rock, and Moses struck the rock not by the command of God, 
and God said he isn't allowed to cross over into the promised land. So this book is the second law written um, from by Moses, commanded by God to write a second law and to commission Joshua at the end. All right. My notes start in chapter 4 of Deuteronomy. Uh, verse 1, Now, Israel, listen to the statutes and the judgments which I am teaching you to perform, so that you may live and go in and take possession of the land which the Lord, the God of your fathers, is giving you. Verse 2, You shall not add to the word which I am commanding you, nor take away from it, that you may keep the commandment of the Lord your God which I command you. And right off the bat, um, if you just think of the word prophet for this book, that Moses knows that Jesus is coming, and we know it's Jesus. Um, When Jesus came, he said he was the manifestation of God in human form. He came, and he only spoke and only did what God told him. So he was the perfect example of how we are supposed to live, where we don't add to or take away from God's word, and we truly live off of it. That's why it was so important that Moses wrote the law again, because they had to live by it. And as verse 2 said in chapter 4, they couldn't add to the word, and they couldn't take away from the word. Verse 14, the Lord commanded me at that time to teach you statutes and judgments that you might perform them in the land where you are going over to possess it. So watch yourselves carefully, since you did not see any form on that day the Lord spoke to you On that day, the Lord spoke to you at Horeb from the midst of the fire so that you do not act corruptly and make a graven image for yourselves in any form. And then it goes in a list of any form, um, male, female, animal, the sky, anything that creeps on the ground. There's only one God and he's not his creation. He's the creator. And that is just such a powerful powerful example. If you've ever asked yourself, God, why can't I see you? Uh, Well, we do see by the Spirit, but physically seeing God, our physical flesh isn't even allowed to physically see Him, so we do not make a graven image or idolize Him in um, lesser things. Make idols of Him in lesser things, not idolize Him. Verse 20, but the Lord has taken you and brought you out of the iron furnace from Egypt to be a people for his own possession as today. And I just love um, that imagery. You know, we know the the story oh too well about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego uh, in the furnace and to just have um, the Lord telling us that he brought us out of the iron furnace, which was Egypt. And from that, he refined us like we know about Matthew. He refines. God's a burning fire deals with chaff and uh, pruning us. And if you are not bearing fruit, only the fruit keeps, only the fruit lasts. And you're not going to last in his furnace of revival um, and restoration and refinement, his salvation, if you are the chaff or you are wild. And you're not going to survive that refinement unless you bear fruit by keeping repentance, like it says in Matthew. My my head's going to ping a, whole, a lot about Matthew. <laughs> okay, verse 38, driving out 
uh, from before you nations greater and mightier than you to bring you in and give you their land for an inheritance as it is today. So God's telling them before they even go that they that they can't do it without him because the nations are actually greater than them. So may I give you this this equation? I think I might have given it to you in numbers, but uh, and you've probably heard it before, but God plus nothing equals everything. Uh, and then man plus anything is equals nothing. It's always less. It's always in vain. Why do I know it's in vain? Because our life has a limit. We all die. There is, there is no eternity to our flesh. Our flesh has an end date, and we can't take it with us. So it goes in vain because there's a time on it. But God lasts eternally, and his promises last eternally, and he calls us to live in eternity with him. And with God, you can do all things, and, and um, you will conquer things. You will conquer fears that you couldn't conquer by yourself. But with God, all things are possible. Um, in chapter 5, verse 15, I just love this sentence. You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt. The Lord your God brought you out of there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God will command you to observe the Sabbath. And I love that Sabbath Um there's two places uh, where God talks about Sabbath. Whenever he rested on the seventh day of creation, he talks about rest, Sabbath, uh, making that the day of rest. And then also God talks about Sabbath whenever he delivered his people from Egypt. And I love that picture that we cannot find rest until we surrender to God delivering us out. It has nothing to do with us, it has everything to do with him. At church yesterday, the pa- our pastor said, our measure of deliverance is contingent upon our measure of surrender, how much we surrender to the Lord. And specifically, I love that this verse says that God has an outstretched arm because I got a picture at church yesterday that all I had to do was lift my hand up in surrender, and he would pull me out. He would pull me out of the depths of Sheol. He would pull me out of whatever I've been fearing. Lately, I've uh, been in a lot of new. There's been a lot of new things in my life. And with that comes unknowns. And unknowns can be very fearful uh, if I don't just daily, I mean daily, hourly, tell the Lord that I trust Him and surrender again and surrender again. And my my deliverance from the Lord is contingent upon my level of surrender. So do not forget that. And I love that whenever God reaches out, he heals and he saves. He heals and he saves. And from that place of freedom and deliverance, you find rest. So if you're wondering what salvation or if you're wondering what Sabbath is, it's finding rest from what ails you. And the Lord, the Lord alone does that. In verse in chapter 5, verse 22, these words, the Lord spoke to all your assembly at the mountain from the midst of fire, of the cloud, and of the thick gloom with great voice, and he added no more. He wrote them on two tablets of stone and gave them to me. And, and when you heard the voice from the midst of the darkness while the, mountains, while the mountain was burning with fire, you came near to me, all the heads of your tribes and your elders. You said, 
Behold, the Lord our God has shown us his glory and his greatness. We have heard his voice from the midst of the fire. We have seen today that God speaks with man, yet he lives. Now then, why should we die? And it goes on to say that they were afraid that if they were around God's consuming fire anymore, that they would die. And they just said, Moses, you go hang out with God because we can't do it. And um, verse 29 says, Oh, that they had such a heart in them, that they would fear me and keep all my commandments always, that it may go well with them and with their sons forever. And then verse 28 says, The Lord heard the voice of your words when you spoke to me, and the Lord said to me, I have heard the voice of the words of this people which they have spoken. They have done well in all they have spoken. Oh, that they had such a heart in them, that they would fear me and keep all my commandments always, that it may be well with them and with their sons forever. That rings true to me. Um, These people are not fearing God in the beginning with the healthy fear that God wants. They are fearing their sin. They are fearing their identity and their sin that gets consumed around God's presence. And they said, we will die here. But God, I just love that he says, oh, oh, that they would have such a heart in them, that they would fear me and keep all my commandments always, that it may go well with them. I just love that. Okay, chapter 6, verse 7. You shall teach them diligently to your sons, shall talk of them when you sit in your house, and when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise up. Oh, I just love this because we're talking about the Word of God. It is truth. It is strong. We can't add to it. We can't take away, but we must do and keep, which Matthew talks a lot about. And I just loved all of the action words in this verse. We have to diligently teach them to our sons and daughters. We have to speak of God's law when we sit and when we walk, when we lie down and when we rise up. Do we live our life this way with God's word? And verse 12 says, watch yourself though, that you do not forget the Lord who brought you from the land of Egypt out of the house of slavery. If you forget the Lord is the one that blessed you, you are in a right position to not receive blessing. We need the Lord and his blessing. Uh, Verse 23, he brought us out from there in order to bring us in, to give us the land which he had sworn to our fathers. So the Lord commanded to us to observe all these statutes, to fear the Lord, our God, for our good always and for our survival as it is today. Verse 23, I love because um, it really shows you the separation that deliverance is not the same as walking into promise. It's two different things, two different things. God brought us out from Egypt in order to bring us in to promise. So not only do you have to have faith to trust God initially, do you have to hear his word and believe it? And we know, uh, we believe and know in the completed works of Jesus, how he died on our behalf to atone for our sin. And he raised from, he rose from the grave so that we can die and live with God forever. 
Um, but then we have to walk into this promise. So even though I'm saved, I have to walk out my sanctification and I'm not in heaven yet. Um, and I'm and I'm still walking out sanctification in my flesh, and I'm still walking out the promises of God that He has um, given me. So He has brought us out from Egypt in order to bring us in. It says to give us land which He has sworn to our fathers. So the Lord commanded us to observe all these statutes to fear the Lord our God for our good and for our survival. So he wants to lavish us with his goodness, but it's also vital. It's also necessary to survive. So not only is what is God what we need in his goodness, um, but he's also what we need to survive. And I just loved it, loved it. I know we touched on that in order for the Israelites to walk into promise, they would have to defeat nations that are greater than them and in chapter 7, verse 1, it actually says it's seven nations greater and stronger. That's a lot of conquering to get through. Um, 7, verse 14, you shall be blessed above all people. There will be no male or female barren among you or among your cattle. There's so many beautiful promises of God. That one spoke to me specifically as Jed and I have one daughter who will be two in July. Uh, 2022. Uh, but all of these promises of God are contingent upon obedience and keeping his word and teaching his and teaching his word. Verse 22, the Lord your God will clear away these nations before you little by little. You will not be able to put an end to them quickly for the wild beasts would grow too numerous for you. This one I added just because it's just so interesting to me. The Lord is being very clear. He said it may not happen. Uh, this conquering may not happen as fast as you think because you'd be taken over by the wild beast that would grow too numerous. So you have to do it little by little um, so that they um, are get killed off too. And I just love that. Um, if we ask, the Lord will show us his plans. Ask him and walk in his ways of truth and righteousness and don't try to manifest his promises um, in your own uh, flesh. Uh, wanting it to look a certain way when God will show you. He'll show you in time, in his time. Uh, 8, chapter 8, verse 3. He humbled you and let you be hungry and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you understand that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by everything that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Doesn't that sound familiar? It was quoted in Matthew 4, 4 when Jesus was tempted in the desert for 40 days. Isn't that interesting? Moses was on the mountain for 40 days getting the word of God and coming back, not drinking or eating. And God here, we know that God's word is what produced manna and manna came on the ground. And God said that it's because he needed his people to know that they live off of him and not bread. And I think it's in another verse that we haven't gotten to. It says that they haven't had bread or wine for 40 years. Uh, in chapter 10, verse 9, um, Therefore Levi does not have a portion or inheritance with his brothers, the Lord of his inheritance, just as the Lord your God spoke to them. This reminds me of Matthew as well because uh, Jesus said foxes have holes, but uh, the man of God has no place to lay his head. Neither did the Levites, because when the 
when the tribes were split up, the Levites didn't get their own land. Why? Because their home was the tabernacle. And um, they, and it always says it puts the Levites with the widows and the orphans. And I think we get to that too. That you're supposed to take care of them and welcome into your home because they don't have a home. And I just think that's so interesting to cross-reference because Jesus and the disciples didn't have a home and neither do we on earth. Um, our home is with God. Um, in chapter 17, or sorry, chapter 10, verse 17, for the Lord your God is the God of gods and the Lord of lords, the great, the mighty, and the awesome God who does not show partiality or take a bribe. Um, Acts um, quotes that, and I always thought that was so powerful that God shows no partiality. If you think God loves a race or a culture or a generation or a denomination, or anyone better or less, you are sorely mistaken. He shows no partiality, but he does delight in those who obey him, and he does delight in getting rid of his enemies that are against those who obey him. Chapter 13, verse 4, You shall follow the Lord your God and fear him, and you shall keep his commandments, listen to his voice, serve him, and cling to him. Love all those action words. Uh, chapter 14, verse 29 goes more into the Levite. Uh, Levite, because he has no portion or inheritance among you, and the alien, the orphan, the widow who are in your town shall come and eat and be satisfied in order that the Lord your God may bless you in all the work of your hand, which you do. Chapter 15 goes into talking about how abundant uh, God's people in his promised land will be in that we are allowed to have people borrow from us, but we aren't allowed to borrow anything because we don't lack anything. It says verse four, however, there will be no poor among you since the Lord will surely bless you in the land, which the Lord your God is giving you as an inheritance to possess. And then verse 11 says, the poor will never cease to be in your land. Therefore, I command you saying, you shall freely open your hand to your brother, to the needy, to the poor in your land. And what I think is beautiful is I believe that the word is saying there will be no poor among you in the sense of there will always be people struggling, but there will always be an abundance. So as the church, as God's people, now I say church now, as the followers of God um, live open-handedly in surrender to receive all that God has, but also to give uh, out of the abundance that we have because there's nothing we lack, and there's always something that we can give. And I just think it's such a beautiful picture to think that the poor among us is only as poor as we are, are able to give. And God says he gives abundantly. So I just, I just want to stop really quick and pray over that balance to receive that balance that we bear fruit, we keep some for ourselves, for our family, we keep some to sell, and then there's there are leftovers to to give because God gives out abundance and there is an abundance to give when people are in need. And if we live open-handedly uh, to be able to receive and to give, Jesus said, freely you've freely you received, now freely give. I believe this is a piece of it. And that's what he's that's what God's saying by there will be no poor among you, because those who are abundant can freely give.
to those people who are in need. Verse 6, the Lord will bless you as he has promised you. He will lend to many nations, but you will not borrow. You will rule over many nations, but they will not rule over you. Amen. Chapter 16, verse 15, seven days you shall celebrate a feast to the Lord your God in the place which the Lord chooses because the Lord your God will bless you in all your produce, in all the work of your hands, so that you will be altogether joyful. In Matthew, it talks about this. Those who labor, those who put their hands to work and have fruit, they produce fruit. Um, I'm not saying in a literal sense. Of course, if you're a farmer, then sure, in a literal sense. But those who put their hands to something and it multiplies, it says that you will be altogether joyful. So the success of work, the success of fruit of your labor brings joy. I just love that. And it talks about that in Matthew. Oh, um, I'm backing up back to chapter 15 again. Verse 14, you shall furnish him liberally your from your flock and from your threshing floor and from your wine vat, you shall give to him as the Lord your God has blessed you. I believe it's talking about a slave that's going free right before this, but I love the verbiage at the end. You shall give to him as the Lord your God has blessed you. And God only blesses us out of abundance. We lack nothing. The Lord is our shepherd. We nothing lack. So if you lack something, open your hands and surrender, and the Lord will give it to you, and he will give you work, and he will bring you fruit of your work, and it will bring about joy. Um, in chapter 17, verses 15 through 20, I just think it's awesome if you're interested in commands for a king. It, it talks about commands for a king, but what stood out? Verse 20, that his heart may not be lifted up above his countrymen and that he may not turn aside from the commandment. So God tells the king, just like he tells Moses to write the law down and live off of it, he tells the king to live off of it. But in this verse, I love that it said, posture your heart to where you're not above others. So even though the king's role is a greater authority than others, he's saying your importance is not as important, it's just as important as the people you serve. And I just love that. Do I think of a king that way or do I think, no, the king's greater than me, higher than me, the president in the United States? No, he's not. He's supposed to be his posture, his heart, so he's not lifted up. And we know that Jesus, the king, came to serve and not be served and give his life as a ransom for many. Chapter 18, verse 20, the prophet who speaks a word presumptuously in my name, which I have not commanded him to speak or which he speaks, in the name of other gods, that prophet shall die. Your words are light and dark, right and wrong, life and death. Chapter 21, verse 22, If a man is committed to sin worthy of death, and he is put to death, you shall hang him on a tree. His corpse shall not hang all night on the tree, but you shall surely bury him. You shall surely bury him on the same day. For he who is hanged is accursed of God, so that you... Do not defile your land, which the Lord your God gives you as inheritance. Jesus um, was hanged on a tree. Um, chapter 23, verse 5, you know I love Balaam, but um, it says, Nevertheless, the Lord your God was not willing to listen to Balaam, but the Lord your God turned the curse into a blessing for you because the Lord your God loves you. You shall never seek their peace or their prosperity all your days. 
Um, just a reminder, the Lord blesses who he blesses, and he curses those who curse who he blesses. So um, God didn't even listen to Balaam when Balaam tried to curse, but he turned Balaam's curse into blessing for us, and then he cursed Balaam. So do not worry about people who try to curse you because nobody who is blessed by God can be cursed. But beware of if you are trying to curse somebody who is God's. Watch your words. Chapter 26, verse 19, He will set you high above all nations which he has made for praise, fame, honor, and that you shall be consecrated people to the Lord your God as he has spoken. I love that in Deuteronomy, God is blessing his people. He's blessing his bride as a whole. He's talking about the abundance of the promised land for all of them. He's talking about the abundance they receive when they obey. And here they are set high above all nations um, as a nation themselves. And I, and just for my sake, I feel like 90% of my prayer life is for me to be blessed individually, but God actually blesses his people as a whole. And he um, implores us to obey his commands and Moses couldn't do things alone. He need he did have a he did have a relationship, personal relationship with God, which we should strive for. But he worked for the whole body of God, the whole the whole believe the whole body of believers to believe in God because God blesses us as a nation. So um, it's really honed me in on my prayer life being less about me and more about the church as a whole. Chapter 27, verse 26, Curses he who does not confirm the words of this law by doing them. And all the people say, Amen. Do not forget that just knowing the law is not enough. You have to do it. Chapter 28, verse 6, just because you've probably heard it before, and it's beautiful. Blessed shall you be when you come in, and blessed shall you be when you go out. Chapter 28, verse 63, it shall come about that the Lord delighted over you to prosper you, multiply you, so the Lord will divide, delight over you to make you perish and destroy you. You will be torn from the land where you are entering to possess it. Verse 65, my baby's drawing. Good job. Verse 65, among those nations you shall find no rest, and there will be no resting place for the sole of your foot. For there the Lord will give you trembling heart, failing of eyes, and despair of your soul. Failing of eyes and despair of your soul. Um, the reason why I highlight these is because there's a lot of death and conquering and slaying and getting rid of all the bad guys. And it's just a good uh, description here that as God delights in loving those who love him, he equally delights in protecting the ones he loves by defeating his enemy. And that has helped me, especially um, in Joshua, they conquer seven nations. They conquer a lot of people, and there's a lot of killing. And it's a good reminder that God delights in destroying the enemy for his people. And we know uh, by the teaching of Jesus that the enemy is not a matter of flesh and blood, but it's a matter of spirit and principalities of the air. So no human is our enemy, um, but the temptation that they succumb to and the spirits that they partner with that is not of the Holy Spirit is our enemy and the devil who is scheming to tempt you and win over you. Uh, and the only things that he's after is to steal, kill, and destroy. 
He is the author of lies, and he can only tell you lies. But God delights in saving his people, and he delights in destroying the enemy. In chapter 29, verse 6, it talks about what for the last 40 years they haven't eaten bread, nor have they drunken wine, in order that you might know that I am the Lord your God. So they were sober. They were sober-minded so that they would know God. I love that. Uh, verse 29, the secret, thing, the secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things revealed belong to us and to our sons forever, that we may observe all the words of the law. Amen. We must be stewards of what we know. And then lastly, I want to end on the juxtaposition of how God delights in destroying those who want to tear apart his obedient bride, who want to curse us, like um, it said about Balaam. And the Lord says that their eyes will fail them, that they will have a trembling heart, and they will have a despairing soul. But at the end of this chapter, I just want to juxtapose that to the obedient one, Moses, who in, in chapter 34, verse 7, says that he was 120 years when he died. His eye was not dimmed, nor his vigor abated. So the Lord just laid him to rest when his work was done. It wasn't because he had he was disease-ridden. It was because um, his work was complete, and he lived out an obedient life that came to completion. And there was nothing left for him because he could not go. He could not cross the Jordan into promise, but he commissioned Joshua. Verse 9, Now Joshua the son of Nun was filled with the spirit of wisdom, for Moses had laid his hands on him, and the sons of Israel listened to him and did as the Lord commanded him. Since that time, no prophet had risen in Israel like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face. Beautiful. Uh, right before that, in chapter 33, verse 27, I just love that it says, The eternal God is a dwelling place, and underneath are the everlasting arms. And he drove out the enemy from before you. So the eternal God equals a dwelling place of everlasting arms. Just amazing. That's a good end. Um, may you feel uh, delivered from the mighty hand of God. May you feel held by his everlasting arms. May you know that a prophet greater than Moses comes in the name of Jesus. And he has come to save. And we will. Okay. And we will talk about Matthew next. See you later. Thanks for joining us today. For more information about Entourage Ministries, visit our website at entourageministries.com or visit us on Facebook or Instagram. 